to serve primarily as an introduction to this class. So I'm going to let you know what we're doing and why we're doing it and the basics of how we're going to do it, the structure and the formality that it's going to take. So today's class will be a little different than subsequent classes in the material that, that we're going to cover. So that's the goal today, to introduce the class and what we're going to do, and then to briefly go over the first question of the catechism that we're going to study, which I'm going to show to you. But let's begin by praying together. Father in heaven, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for this day of the week that you have made holy and, and given us to make holy and for us to uh, enjoy you and to stop doing what we do most of the week and to focus on worshiping you and gratitude and thankfulness. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to to learn in this class. Pray that you would use this time for our good and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, the name of this class. I meant to bring the book. The name of this class is called Grounded in the Gospel. And that is taken from a book written by J.I. Packer and Gary Parrott. It's a book I started reading a little over a year ago. It was a book I'd say I'd been looking for for a long time and found it. And that was the book that, that pushed me over. That was the book that settled my personal resolve to learn and teach and memorize uh, catechism. It was a cow, wasn't it? <laughs> so I don't know if you ever heard someone teach something or read something in a book and you were already you were already thinking something and kind of leaning one way with a thought or a conviction and then it, it toppled you over and, and pushed you over and you said, that's it, that's what i got to do. So that's how it was for that book for me in regards to a catechism. I was resolved by the time I was done reading that book to learn a catechism, uh, to teach a catechism, and of course to memorize a catechism uh, to my family and, and to my church. So that is, uh, this is the outworking of that. Uh, that's why we're going to go through a catechism as a church, and that's why this same catechism, uh, the Myers family, is, is committed to going through and is committed to learning together. Let me give you a quote from that book that struck me. As evangelical Christian educators, that's who they are, Packer and Parrott, as evangelical Christian educators, we see catechesis as integral to the all-age Christian nurture that every congregation should be practicing. And let me say this, and I'll say this again later. They are not Roman Catholics. Okay, so they're advocating for catechism. I don't know about you, but the first thing that has always come to my mind when I hear catechism is it's a Roman Catholic thing. We'll address that today. So they said, together, we mourn its current eclipse, perceiving this as the deepest root of the immaturity that is so widespread in evangelical circles. And we unite in seeking the recognition, restoration, and indeed enhancement of it as a basic discipline of Christian life. 
they said widespread immaturity in evangelical circles. I would agree. I would agree with that sort of sweeping diagnosis of the evangelical church today. That's not everyone. That's not every church by by any means. But that's been my experience. That that's generally true. That there's a, a general immaturity compared to Christians past and churches past. A, a, a more biblical ignorance, more gospel ignorance today than probably ever before in the church. Sinclair Ferguson has said, we have made little or no impression on the world for the very reason that gospel doctrine has made a correspondingly slight impression on us. So these are, these are all getting out the problem. And then Douglas Wilson has recently said, the church, being an assembly of people, will eventually live, think about this, will eventually live in a manner consistent with her doctrine over time. If the doctrine is man-centered, then there will come a time when the lifestyle, morals, ceremonies, teaching, etc. of the church are also man-centered. Ideas have consequences. And I fear that's already happened in many churches. So how do we guard? This is the question that that, that book was seeking to address and we're, we're looking to address. How do we guard against this immaturity? How do we reverse this? How do we, as the, as the church, turn that around? Well, we're just, a, we're just a little church here, so what can we do? What can we do to make sure that, that that doesn't continue for us? How do we guard against biblical ignorance? And how do we guard against poor doctrine in the church? How do, uh, we don't want our kids to be in this situation. We, we, right? You want your kids, you want your grandkids, Lord willing, your great-grandkids to have a better handle of God's Word than you do, um, to know His truth better than you do, to, to know God better than you do, to love Him more, to serve Him more. I mean, that's our desire. So, so how, do we, how do we address this problem? Well, it's always been my practice and our practice as a church to first look back for a solution before looking around for a solution. So those are two different ways to address problems, right? You've got a problem, and you, the one is to look around. What is everyone else doing to address that problem? Now, what's the latest book on, on this issue? What is, what is that church doing? Those, what is that family doing? Those could, be, those could be good places to go. But it's been my practice, and I think it's a good one. It served us well as a church to first, before looking around, to, to look back for a solution. How has the church done this before? How has the church handled this problem? There's nothing new under the sun. We're going to learn that today in Ecclesiastes. So this isn't, a, this isn't a new problem. We tend to think our problems are new and we need some new solution. So how has the church historically addressed that problem? This idea of looking back for solutions is actually in your Bible. Jeremiah 6, let me read you verse 16. Jeremiah 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look... And ask for the ancient paths. We're looking back. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And walk in it. And find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is Jeremiah. Things were not, they weren't going well. So looking back. This is the question. So looking back at the history of the church. What has been the most successful practice 
in teaching and guarding the truth? And the answer is catechesis. So here are Packer and Parrot again. They said, superficial smatterings of truth Blurry notions about God and godliness and thoughtlessness about the issues of living career wise, community wise, family wise and church wise are all too often the marks of evangelical congregations today. We think that as long as catechesis, which was the strength of Christian nurture in the past, continues to be out of fashion, these shortcomings are not likely to disappear. So you can see why this book was important for me because that was the, the struggle that I was seeing and the problem that I was seeing. I was thinking about how I grew up as a Christian and how little I really knew of the Bible. I mean, I knew tons of Bible stories, which is typically how Sunday school goes for kids today, right? They're taught lots of Bible stories, often superficially, but they're not necessarily taught the doctrine or the truth that those Bible stories are there for. They're more even presented as sort of moral examples. Right? Here's Daniel. We learn about Daniel. Hey, be like Daniel. Right? Here's King David. Look at him standing against the king, the, 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 the giant. Look at his faith, his heart after God. Be like David. I mean, this is that's how I was taught growing up and so and even to a degree in the bible college i went to and so here i am now as an adult and and i'm i'm meeting other christians especially dead ones right those who've gone before and they know so much more of god's word than i do they understand so much more of god's word than i do and you know what they they sure maybe not but they sure looked like they had more devotion to god when I, when I examined their holiness and their purity and the things that they were willing to give up and the things that they endured, and right, I'm in, I'm in awe of them. And so I'm seeing that that's, that's me, that to a large degree, I, I have an ignorance of the Bible. And then I'm kind of trying to figure out how to, how to teach my kids. I'm not standing on the greatest foundation. I'm passing on everything that I'm learning, but there's still, again, this feeling there's so much more to this. So, so how do I do that? So that was where I was at and what I was feeling. And then I read this where, where these guys write this book and say, well, here's how it's always been handled. And they said that, that their concern is that these shortcomings are not likely to disappear if we don't start paying attention to what the church has paid attention to historically. So that just made me think. And I thought, well, if they're right, and I'm convinced they are, if they're right, then then this is an ancient path that it would be wise for us as the church to return to. Charles Spurgeon, everyone loves Charles Spurgeon. I think. <laughs> Maybe not. In the 19th century, he said, I am, I am persuaded, and this is how just Christians in the past talked about catechesis. I am persuaded that the use of a good catechism in all our families will be a great safeguard against the increasing error of the times. So that's the that's what we're facing. So next question, what is catechesis? Why don't you say that word with me? Catechesis It's kind of a weird word. I, I, I never use that word. Catechesis is a biblically based term. So this term is in your Bible. It's derived from the Greek New Testament word word catecheo. Okay, that means to teach or to instruct. So it's just a, it's just a transliteration 
of a Greek word that's in your Bible. So it's not some weird word made up by people. It's, it's a word that's just right out of the Bible. Uh, we see it in texts like Luke 1, 3, and 4, Acts 18, 25, Galatians 6, 6. You might have grabbed this handout on your way in. This is a, a page from that book, Grounded in the Gospel. So that word, katecheo, that, that is in many of these verses right here. And what you see as you read through the New Testament is that, for example, you could just, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A uh, couple down. Now I commend you because you remember it, it, me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. You read through all these scriptures and you find that in the New Testament, there, it talks about the teaching and the doctrine. There was a body of truth, right? Whatever that, there was a body of truth, there was a body of doctrine, and there were truths that were in and there were truths that were out that they were teaching one another and that they were passing on to one another. They were catechoing one another. That's what these references are referring to. In English, catechesis has come to be known as this, you could say. The process of teaching a body of truth through short questions and answers. It's a specific method. So you've got a doctrine you want to teach. You've got truth that you want to teach that encompasses all of Scripture, the foundations of the gospel. We want to teach that to one another in the church. We want to teach it to our kids, our grandkids. That's what we want to teach. And then the way we do that through catechesis is through short questions and answers. That's what's been done historically. Here's how G.I. Packer defines catechesis. Catechesis is the church's ministry of grounding and growing God's people in the gospel and its implications for doctrine, devotion, duty, and delight. So actually, this was a practice by the second century in the church. So in the 100s, okay, this was something that the early church was, uh, was doing. And it had already by then taken on various, that word catechesis had taken on various other forms which we still use today. Let me give you the different word, forms of that word catechesis. Catechize. Okay, you've heard that word. If you grew up in a Roman Catholic background, you know that word. Catechize. That's, that's the verb form of it, referring to the process of teaching in this particular manner through short questions and answers. It's called catechizing. Catechism. Catechism is sometimes a designation for the actual content in which, in which persons are catechized. That's the catechism. That's what's being taught. Catechizing is the teaching of it through questions and answer. The catechist would be me in this case. The catechist is the teacher, the one who catechizes others. Catechumen is another one. A catechumen would be all of you, the learners, the ones who are being catechized. You're not just a human if you do this. You're a catechumen, catechumenate. There's all kinds of words. is isn't even all of them. Catechumenate is the sometimes formal or not so formal school of the faith that emerged in many churches to prepare new believers for their baptism and for full participation in the church's life. So many of the early churches, especially will get there during and after the Reformation, had a catechumenate, which was this class, similar to what we're doing here, 
And they would require those who had become new believers to go through the catechumenate to make sure that they know and understand these truths of the Bible. That when they say, yes, I believe, I believe they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that they say that this class would talk about exactly what that means. What does that mean that you believe who is Jesus and what has he done and what is salvation? We say we believe that they'd work them through that. Take a year or two and then they baptize them. That was the typical practice or catechetics. Catechetics is the study of the art and science of catechesis. How'd you like to get a degree in catechetics? I would think that was something totally different involving felines. So here's the question. Isn't isn't catechism a Roman Catholic thing? Contrary to popular belief, catechesis is not a Roman Catholic idea. It is a Protestant idea. I already said that it was it was going on as early as the second century, but of course a, a Roman Catholic would say that the second century church was their history as well, because it was. So let me explain. One of the issues, let's think about the, the Reformation, the 1500s. One of the issues that Protestants were seeking to address, right, in the Reformation was biblical ignorance. Why people didn't, people didn't know the Bible. People didn't even have a Bible. Uh, the teaching was that you couldn't have the Bible. You couldn't read the Bible. You couldn't understand the Bible. It usually wasn't even in a language that you could read because you're just, uh, you know, a Christian. You can't understand it on your own. Who did you need? You needed a priest. You needed a priest to teach. You needed a priest to interpret. So there was no surprise that, that that's one of the reasons right over time why the, the Roman Catholic Church was able to pass as truth and doctrine, things that were not truth and were not doctrine because people didn't know any better. They didn't, they didn't know their Bibles. They, they couldn't stand up against that. So that was one of the obvious issues in the Reformation. Okay, there was gospel ignorance. There was biblical illiteracy. And during and after the Reformation, catechesis was their selected solution. That was their main solution was catechesis, which had been neglected in the church since the 5th century. We're talking for like a thousand years in the church, this practice of catechesis had been neglected. They saw what had happened because of it. And so they did sort of what we're, I would say, now needing to do again. And they looked back at the ancient paths and said, okay, we've got a problem. People don't know their Bible People don't know the gospel. They, they've lost track of their foundations. How do we do it? They looked back and, and resurrected the, the catechesis similar to what we're advocating today. Martin Luther, of course, was one of the first to push this. He even wrote his own catechism. Uh, many of the reformers did. John Calvin in 1548 said to the Lord Protector of England, Believe me, Monsieur, the church of God will never be preserved without catechesis. And we pay it no, no mind. I mean, these are some pretty heavy hitters in the church. Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon. We could go on and on that said, if this is neglected, we're in trouble. So it's worth at least paying attention to. So then what happened was in response to this resurgence 
of catechesis, the church of Rome then began producing their own teaching and their own catechisms to catechize their people in the unfortunately unbiblical doctrines that they were teaching and they were promoting. So it was it was them following suit. It was them imitating this Protestant resurgence of catechesis. So all that to say, rest assured, we're not going Roman Catholic. Don't don't so don't freak out with the word. I'm telling you all these C words. Okay. So why why this catechism? That's the question I want to answer next. This um. I know you, you can't you can't see that. You can just see the colors. So uh, it's just divided up into into three parts. So this is the uh, the new city catechism. So when thinking about a catechism, uh, which I started thinking about six months ago, I mean there's there's like thousands of catechisms. Uh, there's 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 famous well known catechisms. There's obscure. Catechisms again. It was the practice for many Christians and many churches and many pastors to to write their own catechisms that they they wanted with specific ins and outs to teach to their congregation. So there are so many catechisms. Uh, there are so many good catechisms. Um, but the catechism, at least this first time around, I hope this will be something we continue to do as a church. Uh, but at least this for our first attempt at this, we're going to use the new city catechism and i've chosen it basically for two reasons it's accurate and accessible that's it it is accurate and accessible it's it's accurate in other words it's it's really good it's really solid uh it is well done it's not anything new uh what they did was took three or four of the the the, the most well-known solid historical catechisms and they used those as a basis for this catechism, trying to take the best from each of them. Calvin's Geneva Catechism, the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism. They especially leaned on the Heidelberg Catechism. So it's rock solid. It's rock solid. It's accurate. And second, it's just accessible. I think it's very accessible. Uh, some of the most of the catechisms have over 100 questions. I think it would take us a really long time. This is going to take us a long time. This has 52 questions. So it, it works out in a year, right? It's going to take us more than a year because there'll be many weeks that we take off. But um, there's 52 questions. Uh, you can you can get and find this catechism all over the place. Um, it's available online for free. So you just Google New City Catechism. And there it is. I think the easiest way to access it is through the free apps. So there's also free apps for iOS and Android, New City Catechism, um, free. Uh, you can also buy online. There are, uh, you can buy it in book form if you want on Amazon. There's a, a devotional as well that you can buy on Amazon. There's other resources also. So it's very accessible. So here it is. It's divided into three sections. Um, Part one covers um, God creation. I almost tapped this. <laughs> That's stupid. Um, part one, God creation and the fall, the law. Uh, part two, uh, Christ, redemption and grace. And then part three, spirit, restoration and growing in grace. Um, so it's very easy. Again, I can't see that. You can, you can download the app and, and look for yourself. 
Um, but what it does is, this is the, the other part of how accessible this is. It has a, because um, I would like, we're teaching our kids, I'd, I'd like you if you have kids, teach your kids. Um, but some of them are going to have uh, answers that if you've got little ones, you're going to have a hard time getting them to memorize it. So there's a children's mode also. It's really cool. So let me show you. For example, I'm going to read it to you, so don't, don't worry. Question two is, what is God? We're going to memorize that in a couple weeks. What is God? And here's the answer. It's a wonderful answer. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Now, that is a, that's a great answer, and you and I can memorize that in a week, but your four-year-old is not going to memorize that. I mean, maybe your four-year-old is. Some of you got really smart four-year-olds. My, four, my three-year-old is not going to memorize it. He's really smart, but he's not going to memorize it. So what, is, I, so what I did is I just went up there. There's options in the upper right, and then I clicked children's mode, and then I can go back. What is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. Great. So, so we're t- it's the same truth. Right. But it's just a concise, condensed answer so that we can we can teach our little ones. So, again, it is it's accurate and it is accessible. That's why we've decided to do the uh, the new city catechism. So, again, you can uh, download that for free. You can get it online for free as well. If you want it in book form, you can go on Amazon and you can grab it there. OK, a couple more things. Then we'll wrap up. Next question. What structure or, <laughs> I need to put that up. <laughs> what structure or format is this class going to take? So here, here's what you can expect. I said that today was going to be different, right, because we're introducing it. Um, but I hope to have a fairly regular format and structure that we follow. And I'm, I'm just leaning on what others have, others have done. Uh, we'll change it if we need to. But basically, here is how class is going to go. We'll open up with prayer. Okay, we'll close with prayer, too. That's always how we're going to begin and end our time. We'll open and close with prayer. And then in between, we're going to do three things. Number one, we will recite and review the previous question and answer. Okay, so we will have memorized the question the week before. And we will begin class by reciting and reviewing that previous question and answer. And we'll do that by saying the question and the answer five times together. And we're just trying to get this right deep, deep in our minds, deep in our hearts. So we'll say that question and answer five times together. Maybe a brief review of the theology that is taught in that. Second, we will introduce, this is where we'll spend most of the time, we will introduce and understand the next question and answer. So briefly review the previous and then we'll introduce and understand the next question and answer. Uh, We'll look at the scripture. We'll look at the biblical support for that, where it's derived in scripture. Um, Maybe we'll look at some application. Maybe we'll look at illustration or examples of, of that, whatever. But that'll be the bulk of our time, introducing and understanding the next question and answer and then finally we will recite that next question and answer five times together before we close in prayer 
So those are the bookends, right? We're going to recite and review five times each, the one before and the one coming up. And typically, we will study the upcoming catechism question. And the reason we're doing that, rather than studying the one we just memorized, is because I want us to, I want us to know, as we're memorizing it throughout the week, what, what this means. What it is that we're memorizing, rather than on the, rather than on the back end. So typically, unless that's not working well, that's the structure and format that this class is going to take. So we'll end our time to, today with that first question. Um, next week we'll spend a little more time because I'm not introducing that one this week because we won't have time to do that. So next week will be a little funky too, but then by week three we'll, we'll be into our normal, normal routine, Lord willing. Okay, last thing to talk about before we go over question one. Let me say a couple things for those of you who want to get the most, get the most out of this class. So you, you, can, you can do this on your own. Um, you don't, obviously don't have to come to this class uh, or, or you can just come to this class. But, but I, would, I would encourage all of you uh, to make this a, a personal thing. Uh, your family, make it a family thing, not just a church thing. So I do want and hope others join us. I do want it to be a church thing that we do together as a church. And um, goes well, praying it does. Um, it doesn't end up just being one of those you know, pilot programs that crashes and burns. Uh, I hope this goes well for us. I hope you benefit from it. And we do other catechisms in the future and, and in years to come. But I would encourage you not to just have it be a church thing, but a personal thing as well as a family thing. I would encourage and, and share ideas with one another, share ideas with me. I can share maybe a few ideas I have, but creative ways to, to do this. Creative ways to teach this to your family. Creative ways to memorize this as a, a family. Uh, recite them together. Uh, recite them in the morning. Or recite them in the evening. Or uh, go over them at bedtime again if you've got little ones. Or in the car is a great place to do this. Or uh, sitting around the, the dinner table could be a great place to, to do this. But I would encourage you those of you with kids, to think of catechism as a practical way to do Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. Let me read you that scripture. Uh, I think catechism is a great, and again, this is what the church has done historically. It's just a great practical way to do what we're told to do in Deuteronomy 6 with, with kids. You shall teach them, this is truth. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you get the idea. It's all the, this is all the time. This is ongoing. This is constant that we're to be teaching truth to our kids. Or Psalm 78, 4 and 5. We will not hide them, again, these truths from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. I also think it's a way to prevent the sad state in Judges 2, 10 through 12, which says, and all that generation, this was a, a godly generation, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation. So these were their kids. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's really sad. 
What happened? Their, their parents didn't teach him. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And again, back in verse 12, it's because they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the great things that he had done. They didn't know what a great God he was. And you read back at the end of Joshua, and all these parents were there, and Joshua's telling them, hey, hey, you, you need to step it up. You ask for me, this is what I'm doing, but if, you, know, you decide right now. And they were all excited and said, no, we're going we're gonna to serve God. We're going to do this. We're going to teach our kids. They didn't. They didn't. And so their kids didn't know God, didn't know his truth. So this is a way of, 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 of preventing that. So I don't know about you, but for me, when I read Scripture like Deuteronomy 6, when I read Scripture like Psalm 78, this, that I have this responsibility, especially I feel as a husband and father, as a head of a household, this responsibility to, to teach my, my children, that's, that's a bit daunting for me. And, and this constant talking about it is just not, is not the natural reality in my life. We communicate well as a family. We, we talk about a lot of things as a family, but we're, we're not talking about the Bible all the time. We're just not. Uh, we're to, you that know us well, you know, you can guess the kinds of things that, that we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about telling stories to each other. We're, uh, or we're talking about sports a lot or we're talking about what happened. You know, you just you, you talk. So I need I need this is just how I work. I need like formal sort of official ways that I, that I make sure what needs to get done is getting done. And so that's one of the appeals of this to me is that I know that I have a responsibility to teach my family, and, and this can be a way that that gets done in my family. Remember, especially with your kids, it is not, it is not the church's responsibility to teach your kids. It is not your school's... Some of you have your kids in great schools that teach them God's Word, but it is not your school's responsibility to teach your kids God's Word. It is the parents' responsibility to teach their kids God's Word. So this, this can be a very practical way to do it. I'll tell you what. If you, if you memorize a catechism like this, I can say this without any qualification. If you memorize this catechism, take about a year to do it, if you do that, you will know more about what the Bible teaches than I did when I graduated from San Jose Christian College. No tongue-in-cheek, no joking around. You will know more of what the Bible teaches than when I graduated from a liberal Bible college. I don't know if they call themselves a liberal Bible college, but you'll, you'll know more than I did. Because, again, this is the historical way that the church looked throughout Scripture, collected the vital truths, the vital doctrines. We've got to pass this on and in a good way, indoctrinated the next generation. So that would be my encouragement to you, to really think hard and long about that. Let's wrap up today with the first question. Question number one. Let me read the question, and then I'll read the answer, and then we'll read it together five times. It'll take us a couple minutes. Question one is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer given is that we, this is our only hope in life and death. That we are not our own. 
but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the children's version of that is, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That's the little ones can memorize that. So, five times. I'll read the question. You don't have to read the question with me. And then let's just read the, read the answer together. I hope you can see that. If not, it's okay. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. One more time. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's memorize that this week. Invite others to this class. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thanks for time together this morning to consider these truths. Would you plant them deeply in our hearts? God, we don't want to just merely memorize We want your word to be planted deep in our hearts. We want to be affected by it. We want to be affected by it. We want to be changed by it. We want to love you more. We want to know you more. We want to love your word more, to love your worship more, to love your people more. So God, use these truths of your word to grow us and to mature us as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.